0: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Betsy and Wally Stern Center here at Hudson Institute. I'm Ken Weinstein. I'm President and CEO of Hudson Institute. And I am truly honored to have a very special guest with us today, the Minister of Justice of the State of Israel, Ayelet Shached. Now, Minister Shached, if you follow Israeli politics, she is nothing less than a rock star. (laughs) She's been invariably described as quote, the most intriguing woman in Israeli politics, as, quote, the most charismatic, formidable, and ambitious female leader to have emerged in Israel or anywhere for some time. Her background is a real reflection of the diversity of the state of Israel. She is in many ways a bridge between secular and religious Israel, between the North Tel Aviv, where she grew up and where she lives today, the Bavli area, and the settlements between traditional and high-tech Israel. Now, she grew up in a uh, secular family, as I said, in Bavli, mixed Sephardic and Ashkenaz heritage. Uh, She uh, began her military service uh, in Israel's storied uh, Golani Brigade, an experience which deepened her already strong attachment to the defense of the State of Israel before undertaking a brief but very successful career in the field in which she trained at uh, Texas Instruments. But her uh, passion for the state of Israel led her to leave her computer engineering education and experience behind, and instead led her to a career in politics, where she soon rose to run Prime Minister Netanyahu's office. She broke with the prime minister in 2010 to join her colleague Naftali Bennett's uh, new party, Habayit HaYehudi, the Jewish home. And suddenly, this uh, secular, lifelong resident of North Tel Aviv became a leading figure of the large religious Zionist party. She entered the Knesset in 2013. She came in number two in the uh, uh, Jewish Homes 2015 party, just right behind leader Naftali Bennett. And she was appointed at the age of 39 as the youngest female attorney general in Israeli history. And her portfolio as minister of justice goes well beyond uh, the ministry itself. She heads the Ministerial Committee for Legislation, and uh, she also serves on the, uh, uh, which, the, the Committee on Legislation, which allows one to move forward or block legislation. And she also is the only woman to serve on the Security Cabinet, which votes on military action. Uh, and what's interesting, I think, uh, as we will all see with uh, Minister Shaked, is that she is, she has not been taken in one bit by her celebrity status. She remains hardworking, strategic, true to her principles, and not afraid of incurring the wrath of her neighbors in Bavali and North Tel Aviv, more broadly, or of international elites. And she's she's here in Washington. She just came from a very successful trip to New York. uh, And she is now here in Washington, where she will be meeting tomorrow with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, her counterpart. And we're, again, honored to have you here for a conversation, uh, and really appreciate you fitting us into your busy schedule. I'm gonna start by asking a few opening questions and to facilitate the discussion and the minister's schedule is tight. We're going to have a box with uh, cards that's over there and if you wish to ask a question, please submit it in writing and then we will, I will ask the minister. This is to make sure that we can fit as many questions in and to have as uh, open a discussion as possible. Now the first question I have to ask you since uh, this is on everybody's minds in Washington, Tomorrow you will be seeing Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who is incidentally a good friend of Hudson Institute, as we were saying, uh, the, uh, in the green room there. Um, I need to ask you this question. I think I probably know the answer, but uh, a little bit of news was made late yesterday afternoon. Do you have any anything to say about uh, uh, some of the developments at the uh, FBI? I
1: can say that all the headlines in Israel are, all, are also on this subject, but of course um, I respect your democracy and I never interfere in your internal business. Business.
0: Well, thank you. Okay. It's
1: your own, it's your own headache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, will we I, – I will I take that uh, and we'll take the aspirin as, uh, as well uh, shortly. uh, On a a more serious and uh, focused note, you you published a very important, thoughtful, and frankly unconventional article in uh, Hashloach, which I wish was uh, translated into English, has not yet been. It was, it
1: was. It was? Yeah, actually we have copies and I can send you a soft copy to everyone.
0: Please do, since I'm, okay, so that is corrected, okay, it is in English, which calls for making the uh, Jewish character of the State of Israel concrete in law rather than merely symbolic, and why do you think this is uh, necessary, and what changes uh, would this entail? This, and I have to say, for a, a sitting minister to write a, a 20-page detailed thoughtful article, which I read these summaries of since I wasn't smart enough to find the uh, English uh, translation, uh, I highly recommend the piece. So, w- so what changes do you think are necessary? Why do you think this change in... Uh, in making the character of Jewish, uh, the Jewish character of Israel more concrete in law. Why is that necessary?
1: Israel, uh, defined as a Jewish and democratic state, the vast majority of the citizens in Israel um, support this definition as a Jewish and democratic. And the vast majority also think that Jewish and democratic can coexist together in a parallel way without that one value will be above the other. And there is sometimes ongoing tension between those values. But Israel is a very unique state. It was established as a home for the Jewish people. And uh, it is uh, one out of 21 state um, that are member in a very exclusive clubs of state that were established as democratic from the beginning. And um, we are, I think, uh, in a very impressive way and succeed to balance between those values. Um, in Israel, there is a very activist uh, Supreme Court, a very good one. I think it's, it is one of uh, the best in the world, but very activist. And um, in the recent 20 years since uh, we legislate the, um, the basic law of human uh, dignity, I think that it's not the thing, we are seeing it, in the case law, in the Supreme Court, most of the judges give more weight to the democratic leg rather than to the Jewish leg. So I talked in the article about legislation, legislating another basic law of Israel as a, as a Jewish state. It's called the Nationality Bill. And by the way, it passed today uh, pre-reading, and I'm going to submit it as a private uh, bill. I'm going to submit a, government, a governmental bill in uh, two months from now. And I think it's, it should be another tool in the hands of the Supreme Court when they are uh, dealing with uh, complicated cases that sometimes we need to balance between the democratic leg and the Jewish leg.
0: You, do you And how do you see that balance working out? Can you give a concrete example where you think uh, it needs to fit?
1: Yeah. I can give you a few examples. Uh, Just one remark about, um, if we're talking about the Supreme Court, about the way we in Israel uh, select judges. So in the United States, it's the the president, the senator, the politician select the, the judges. And of course, when there is a Republican administration, you select more conservative judges. If there is more uh, Democratic uh, administration, you select more liberal judges. In Israel, there is a committee. I'm the head of the, com- the, co- the committee. We have nine members, um, four politicians, three Supreme Court judges, and two, two uh, represent, representatives of the association bar, the Bar Association. And when we select the, the Supreme Court judges, we need more or less, more or less to compromise. There are nine members in the, co- in the committee. We need a uh, seven, uh, seven hands to select a supreme, uh, a judge to the supreme court. So we need to, you know, have a deal to, to, to agree on, on the candidates. Uh, recently, the committee, my committee select four judges out of 15. It was a big deal in Israel because it's really rare that we select four out of 15. and. Till the end of the year, we will have to select another two. Um, And there is ongoing debate in Israel since the Supreme Court is really activist and interfere in uh, sometimes in uh, in the economy, sometimes in security issues. There is ongoing debate who should select the judges, like in the US, which is, is the politician, or like in Israel, which is a committee that the Supreme Court judges themselves are really involved in the process. So why I'm telling you that, because uh, the best example, I think, for the tension between Jewish and democratic is a case of law that the Knesset legislated a few years ago, law uh, against illegal immigrants. Since 2006 till 2012, there was a wave of illegal immigrants from Africa to Israel. Africa is the uh, the first uh, western country with a land border. Israel is the first western country with a with land border to Africa. And uh, there was a big illegal immigration, mainly from Eritrea and Sudan to Israel, thousands of, immigra- of illegal immigrants, walking immigrants, every, every month. We did two, two things in order to stop it. First, we built a fence and we legislate a law that uh, actually if you're illegal immigrants, uh, that came to Israel. You cannot walk uh, You cannot immediately walk, You need to be put in a detention center for a year or so. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, canceled this law. We legislate it again. We, we 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 soft it a bit. We legislate it again. They cancel it again, and then we legislate it on the third time according to what the according to the to the parameters that the Supreme Court set us, and then it passed. But there is a, a real question whether we should, uh, when we are dealing with such an issue, whether we should also take into consideration the fact that uh, the character of Israel should be a Jewish character and the majority of Israel should stay Jewish. Um, Or we should, you know, uh, think that Israel is the country of all citizens and if uh, one million people from Africa wants to come to Israel, well, it's fine. So there is ongoing debate about that, and in my mind, the identity of israel as a jewish state is very important and in such cases the cult should take it also into consideration
0: okay thank you uh, now there's been there have been some criticism of your the the article that you wrote by some of your political opponents who who sort of claim that you either have some sort of a religious intent in wanting to focus more on the jewish side of uh Israel being a Jewish and democratic state. There are others who say that somehow uh, that uh, that your ideas will make it more difficult to integrate Arabs into Israeli society. I'm just wondering if you could uh, offer some thoughts on some of the criticisms that have been made.
1: Okay. I think that those who criticized the article about this point didn't really understand or didn't read the article because they didn't talk about um, – um, Uh, Jewish as a, as a religious, but as a nationality. You know that to be Jewish is both as a religious and nationality. And I talked about the nationality, not about religious. And actually myself and my party truly believe in the coexistence of the Arab society with the Israeli society, the Arab Israelis. This government invests a lot of money and effort in order to integrate the Arabs uh, into the society in the, in the public sector, I, I took it as a mission. I'm actually very optimistic regarding the Israeli-Arab society. Uh, my, my ministry is leading in terms of, uh, of Israeli-Arab employment in, in, in the public sector, 10%. Uh, when I entered the office, I found out that there is no court in Arab city. So now uh, I decided to build, and now we are building it, the uh, first uh, court in an Arab city in the, in the city of Taibe. I invest a lot in the Sharia court system. In Israel, if uh, Muslims want to get married or divorce, they can do it uh, in a Sharia court. And I invest a lot in this system. I opened another court in Sakhnin. And two weeks ago, the committee, again, I'm the head of the committee that select judges to the Sharia, to the Sharia system court, select uh, the first women, Arab, Arab women, To be a judge in the Sharia system, it was a huge, big deal in the Arab society, also in Israel. And I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of the Arab and the Arab women got a lot of uh, power and proud uh, because of this step. Um, One week ago, I just walked in the street and someone, uh, uh, someone stopped me in the street and told me, I'm a Muslim from the north, I want you to know that... You brought a lot of pride to our uh, society, and I'm so happy. And really, I'm, I'm really optimistic about that. Also, the minister of, Edu- the minister of education for my party, Naftali Bennett, uh, invests a lot of in the education system. When he was the economy minister, um, he invests a lot in uh, uh, promoting women Arab, Arab women to be part of the working force in Israel. Um, and uh, this government also invests 15 million checkers in, uh, in, in Arab cities, something that uh, Israeli government never did before. So actually, I think that um, we are on a good track on that, and I really think that uh, this uh, wo- living together can can succeed.
0: Okay, very good. Let me, let me ask you about another element in Israeli society that is oftentimes not fully integrated, and that's the uh, ultra-Orthodox, the Haredi community. In September 2016, we at Hudson Institute uh, honored Prime Minister Netanyahu with our uh, Herman Kahn Award, which is our biggest honor. And in his acceptance remarks, he mentioned that a big impediment for Israel's startup nation efforts is the need to increase the workforce, including uh, the Haredim, and bringing them in. Uh, how are your efforts going uh, in, to inc- incorporate uh, the Haredim into uh, uh, the workforce and into society more broadly? And in particular, if you could reflect on the high-tech sector in which you worked. Okay.
1: Okay. So in in Israel, the rate of the unemployment is 4%, so it's actually considered that everyone is working 4%. And um, there are two sectors that are not taking full part of the working force. It's Arab women, which I talked before, and uh, ultra-orthodox men. The ultra-orthodox women are working like like the secular, but the ultra-orthodox men are working only in 50%. This is uh, this is the numbers and uh, the previous government and this government puts a lot of effort in order to combine them in the working force because we think that this is one of the um, uh, uh, one of the growth engine that can be that can be for Israel. You know that Israel today is, is a startup nation in 2013. There were $2.5 million investment in high-tech in Israel. In 2016, it's $5 million. Actually, it's the most highest number uh, from all the other countries in Europe, for example. And uh, we don't have uh, working forces anymore in high-tech. Everyone is working. Um, so we are, doing, we are doing two things. One is well trying to, in, to uh, encourage the ultra-orthodox to be part of the working force, I was uh, in in the last uh, in the last government. I was a Knesset member, and I was the head of the committee in the Knesset that legislate the law that combined them, the ultra orthodox in the army. And all the time, the most important thing for me was that they will go to work. For me, to them, to be part of the working force was even more important than the army. I thought this is the most important thing for Israel, that they will part of the working force and after that, part of the army. And we are see recently that more and more ultra-orthodox are going to universities and, and they are trying and they're going to, the, to work in the public sector, something that wasn't uh, before. Um, I can tell you that uh, as a Ministry of Justice, I'm trying to push them to go uh, to learn programming and uh, engineering, less law, I don't know if you know, it's a side remark. In Israel, there are the highest number of lawyers per capita in the world.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, I'll give you some numbers. Uh, you will be shocked. Um, in uh, Japan, there are 23 lawyers per 100,000 people. In Europe, in average, it's 150 lawyers per 100,000 people. In United States, they won 400. In Israel, 684.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, it's really, I was visiting Austria a few months ago, and in Austria and Israel, there are the same number of people, 8 million citizens. In Austria, there are 6,000 uh, 6, 6, lawyers. In Israel, 70,000. It's horrible. It's also, it is also very not healthy to the economy, so I'm trying – and a lot of ultra-Orthodox are going to study law, so I'm trying to encourage them uh, to go and study uh, science and programming, etc. Also, the Minister of Education is working with me about trying to shifting people from law school to, um, to science.
0: Very good. I think here in Washington, where the number of lawyers per capita easily exceeds <laughs> that of uh, no, no the entire I'm state of Israel – uh, no, no, no. Just the city of Washington itself. Uh, I think uh, a few years ago, when I'd meet someone, a friend once said, "Don't even bother introducing yourself or saying your name. Just say what law firm you're with when you shake hands." I'm I myself, you know, not a lawyer, but it uh, I think it holds True. Let, let me ask you about uh, whether you see a tension at all between the the desire for Israel to be this high-tech global economic powerhouse mm-hmm. and the Jewish character of, of of the state of Israel. Because as this workforce sh- shortage will likely continue, the stronger Israel becomes economically, there becomes a need to bring in others from the outside, uh, from Europe, from the Middle, from Asia, someday hopefully the Middle East, to, to meet some of these needs. Do you think that there's a at all a, a paradox or a challenge that has to be met?
1: No, I don't think there is a paradox. The challenge that we have is now uh, to combine into the working force the ultra-Orthodox men and the Arab women, but I think that uh, um, there is no paradox, and the fact that uh, Israel today is... Um, uh, leading in the cyber security in the world, in water dissimula- de- dissimulation, how do you say? Desalination. How? Desalination. Desalination yeah yeah. Uh, um, so you're seeing that um, Israel is, is just doing a very good, success, success very much in every high tech or technology field. And uh, we need more, more walking, more workers, but we have it in Israel, so we just need a, to try and um, um, and include them in the working force, and also this government opened the gate for more Palestinians to come mm. and work. We will be very happy if uh, Palestinians if more Palestinians will come to work in Israel. I think that both sides uh, can benefit from it. Uh, for Israel, it's uh, good workers, and uh, for them, of course, it's uh, good salaries. So it's a win-win situation.
0: Good. Let, let me let me uh, let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about the. Uh, Prospects for, uh, Arab Israeli peace process. Let me, let me first begin by, uh, talking about a new element that's been injected in the discussions here in Washington, which is, uh, the Taylor Force Act, which is a piece of legislation that's been introduced in Congress, uh, that was really a reaction to the horrific, uh, murder in Yaffa of this, uh, uh young West Point graduate, Taylor Force, uh, who, uh, from uh South Carolina who uh was on a who had gone to West Point fought in Afghanistan and Iraq was a business school student at Vanderbilt and was murdered by uh in cold blood and uh by by a Palestinian whose whose uh, parents uh, later held a celebration in in uh their town giving out treats after the, uh, their son was killed to celebrate the fact he'd become a martyr uh, and it, uh, in the United States now, there is now finally significant knowledge of the fact that 8% of the Palestinian Authority's budget goes to fund, uh, terrorism. Uh, my colleague Doug Feith's written on this, as has Sander Gerber and, uh, of the JCPA. There's now a big focus, uh, here in Washington on trying to zero out the percentage of the, uh, Palestinian Authority budget that goes to fund terror. Do you, do you see that that could pose a problem for the Palestinians in any way. How do you feel about the Taylor Force Act?
1: Um, I think it's important. We are trying in Israel for many years to stop it. Uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, the Palestinian Authority found uh, prisoners, uh, murders in Israeli jail. Uh, And as long as you murder more, you get more money. For example, the murder of the Fogel family, they murdered three babies and two parents. They are getting more than, if we're translated to, to dollar, more than $4,000 a month when they are in prison. It's totally absurd. Uh, a lot of money is going to those prisoners in the jail and also to their families. In Israel, we try we try many times to uh, block this, uh, this transferring, but I think that we definitely need uh, your help. I think that President Trump and the Congress, if they will put pressure on it, uh, I will say that the Palestinian Authority will not have, uh, maybe, maybe they will not have a choice and they will have to, uh, to stop it because it's totally absurd that the murders are getting funded and it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money and it's every month. Um, so I think that here definitely the United States can help us and uh, if this uh, step will succeed, we will, be of course, very grateful.
0: Good. Here, here. You here. you've expressed skepticism. You were quoted uh, uh, in your time in New York about the uh, tr- the Trump administration's attempt to restart the Arab-Israeli peace process, and you've, you've indicated that you expect the peace process to fail. I think that's. I think a, I'm realistic. Exactly, I think it's. I think it's quite realistic. But you said that you hope the administration comes up with something more creative. What what do you see that possibly entailing?
1: I think President Trump has a huge opportunity. Um to uh, have an economic economic deal, I think is the right person to do it. Um, first of all, it's you know, who the people who are re- really involved in what's going on in the Middle East understand that the gaps between the Palestinian and the Israelis are much too big. Uh, the, the, um, the case with the salaries to terrorists is one thing. The fact that Abu Mazen was here and he wasn't, uh, he, he didn't recognize, I'm not talking about Israel as a Jewish state, of course he doesn't recognize Israel as a Jewish state. He even didn't say two states for two people. Um, uh, we, of course, will never give up on Jerusalem. Jerusalem the eternal capital of, eternal capital of, the, Jewish, uh, of the Jewish people. We are not going to split Jerusalem. And um, we evacuate from Gaza till the last inch and we got only rockets all over Israel and Tunnels. We are not going to do this experiment again in Judea and Samaria. Um, so I think that really the president has an opportunity to focus on economic deal. It means um, um, to talk with the moderate Arab state that some of them uh, are already with the economic relations with Israel on few many fields, um, to, to take those say, uh, relationship and, cooper- and economic cooperation, today it's under the table, to put it above the table, and to boost the Palestinian Authority economy, to invest in, if- in infrastructure, to invest in industrial zone. I think if you if really think about the people in the Middle East, This can be much more beneficial for the population, both the Israelis and the Palestinians. We need also to remember that every time that there was a peace process and it failed, after that there was a terror wave. So, um, uh, you know, if if, if you ask me, I think uh, that uh, if the president is talking about a deal, the economic deal can be much better.
0: Okay. Good. Okay, uh, let me ask you a little about the possible extension of Israeli laws into. Uh,
1: this is from the audience, or Yeah, from
0: the audience. We're coming to the audience okay. questions. The the extension of Israeli law into the territories. How do you how will that play out? How do you see that playing out vis-à-vis military law in particular?
1: Okay, so um um, we think that you know my uh, my party and uh, lots of uh, Knesset members from the Likud think that we should apply the Israeli law on Area C. In Area C, there are 450,000 Jews and 90,000 Arabs to give, of course, also to the Arabs full citizenship with all rights and and to have a normal life, to normalize the life there. And and that Area A and B uh, in uh, in the future will be part of maybe confederation with Gaza, with Jordan. In Jordan, there are 70% Palestinians. Um Maale for example, is a city in New Jerusalem. I don't know if some of you were there or visited there. There is no doubt that even even for those who believe in two-state solution, in any agreement, Maale Adomim is a part of Israel. So, um, uh, yes, we think that the Israeli law should be applicable there. There is no uh, really reason why not. People are suffering because they are, uh, don't have... Uh, um all the all the rights and all the all the things that there are in Israel. So there are um there are a um, few um few Knesset members that want to promote the application of the Israeli law on male Domim and I am definitely for it.
0: Okay, good. Let me ask you another legal related question which came up, which is uh capital punishment. Will it be reinstituted in Israel? Do you see?
1: Capital punishment Um okay. Uh, in Israel we don't I would say death penalty. Yeah, death penalty in Israel we don't have a death penalty there is a death penalty to terrorists according to the military. yeah according to the military to the military law so in Judea and Samaria there is a death penalty uh, last time that uh, a judge, Gave in his verdict a death penalty, it was in 94, to a terrorist in 94. He appealed, got a life sentence, and was released in, his, uh, in a Shalit deal. Um, so instead of death penalty, he got a release. But in Israel, there is no death penalty, and I don't think that there is a plan to apply such a, such a law today.
0: Let me shift gears. This is from uh, Nissim Rubin at the American Jewish Committee wanted uh, comments on the fast-growing ties between Israel and Asia, and the big visit uh, July 5th and 6th of uh, Prime Minister uh, Modi of India to Israel.
1: Mm-hmm. So our Prime Minister is talking all the time about stressing the relationship with India, with China, with Japan, with Asia, and with Africa, and we will definitely do it. All the government think it's uh, the right thing to do. And... Um, Many ministers are traveling there. There are very warm relationship between Israel and India. There was a big uh, uh, military deal now between Israel and India. Um, you know, when I was working in Texas Instruments, I was I used to travel uh, a lot to Bangalore because in Bangalore there were uh, also there is a very strong high tech. Uh, it's a very strong high tech center and then um, we see india and china definitely as a strategic target to strengthen the both economies and to enrich with knowledge uh, one one another also uh, in my field the Attorney general of china was in israel invite me to china uh, also with africa so uh, we definitely see a big opportunities for israel both in asia and in uh, and in africa
0: how have your, let me ask you how your relations have been with your fellow attorney general, your fellow ministers of justice. Do you spend a lot of time on the road meeting with them? What What have the interactions been like?
1: Yes, actually, um, uh, I met uh, recently many ministers of justice from Europe. Next week I'm going to meet, uh, tomorrow I'm going to meet your attorney general. Um, we have uh, many topics in common and uh, many of them wants to hear from our uh, from our experience in uh, in law against terror you know israel is a strong democracy that fighting terror for many years and now europe is trying to learn from us how to stay a strong democracy on one hand and to fight terror on the other hand another subject that we are talking between us all the time is incitement in the internet and in the social media it became a huge topic in Israel and around the world and around the world because uh, the last terror wave that started uh, last year uh, was based on incitement on incitement in the in the internet and in the social media and we tried to try to find a way a ways by talking with uh, Facebook with Google to have a dialogue with them and ask them to monitor the incitement um we also started to promote a law that if there is a contact that uh, is, um, is an incitement to terror or to violence. We can go to a judge, get an order, and uh, bring it to the companies and they will have to remove this, uh, this site. Google and Facebook are afraid from this legislation and they prefer to do it on a voluntary basis. So there is a cyber um, there is a cyber department in the prosecution and they are talking with the companies they are getting actually material from the from all the security agencies in Israel and they are asking Google and Facebook to remove the contact on a voluntary basis. but this is something that very interesting uh, ministers of justice around the world in Europe there is a, in a talk with the, the Minister of Justice from Germany, from Austria, from Hungary, they are all and very concerned from hate crime in the internet and from anti-Semitic incitement. So we are trying to work together with the companies, actually most of them American companies, in order to see how they are doing the filtering like they are doing for child pornography because for child pornography, for example, they are doing the monitoring. So we are trying to convince them to do it also for incitement in the internet and this is something that is common actually to most of the the ministers of justice
0: Very good. Yeah and it's, what's interesting is in Europe now this is this new term in French, Israelization, the Israelization of the fight against terror. Of, and drawing on Israel as an example is becoming critical. Where it used to only be Colombia, I think, that we had this good partnership with Israel. Let me, we've got to wrap up uh, briefly because of your schedule. Let me ask a, a question that changes slightly in a different direction about Israel's interest in possibly participating in the China One Belt, One Road uh, policy. Is there interest in Israel? What the objectives might be? What the hindrances might be? In what? The One Belt, One Road policy.
1: Ah, okay. I don't. We didn't discuss it in the in the government yet, as, um, uh, with the with the ministers. I don't know. Maybe the minister of economy is responsible on that, or the minister of transportation. Uh, but I didn't deal with it, so I don't know the answer.
0: Okay, let me and let me let me follow up since we have got to get you uh, out of here. The last question is going to go to. Uh, someone from uh, Bene B'rith who noted in our community we recently saw BDS measures become be defeated at the George Washington University Student Senate by one vote and a Georgetown student-led effort be defeated by the Georgetown Finance Investment Committee what message do you have for American universities and students dealing with these calls for uh, BDS on campus
1: Um, The BDS movement is not uh, um, against uh, the settlements in Judea and Samaria. It's against the existence of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state. Sometimes they're trying uh, to fool people. Sometimes they use some uh, liberal activists. Sometimes they're using the naiveness of some of the liberal activists here in the United States. But if you really listen to what they want, to their leaders, they want to Israel as a Jewish and democratic state to vanish from the map. This is what they want. Um, in courts, by the way, all around the world, in Europe, everywhere, they always lost. They, um, there are a few uh, cases in France, in Belgium, in United Kingdom. They always lost. And um, actually, from economic perspective, you know they promote boycott on Israel. But from uh, if you're looking at the, da- the data, the economy of Israel is just growing and growing, so they are losing uh, in that field as well. Uh, they have, um, um, th- they are in the um, in the campuses in United States. This is problematic, we know, but they are not exist um, outside the campuses. And in my mind, I think, and, and I'm telling you that the government of Israel took it very seriously this year, and we built a specific office for that. Uh, that they're working with some uh, organization around the world to fight them. In my mind, you know, there should, there should be a loud voice of the one who do cares about democracy and freedom of speech. And to fight those activists, the majority of what they are saying are lies, or uh, sometimes they're saying like half of the truth, which is also reflected as a lie. We just need to continue and fight them, but to put it into perspective, as I said, they are not uh, succeeding in the economy, they are not uh, succeeding in court, they have a presence in the campuses, but I hope that, uh, as I said, the students who think, uh, uh, the liberal, the democrat students, uh, will fight them back. This is what I hope.
0: Good. On that uh, positive note, want to uh, thank you, Mr. Shepet. you lived up to your reputation. Thank that you. Absolutely fascinating. And we look forward to welcoming you back here uh, before too long. Thank, thank
1: you, you so much. Thank you very much. much.